0: I think uh, we will start with uh, questions uh, from the audience. Anyone has questions to our presenters? Any more questions?
1: Karen. So, great talks by all of you. Um, really impressive uh, discussions here. I have a question for Dr. Ramsey. Clearly, doing a redo pouch <laughs> is feasible, um, but in some of your publications. In some of your publications, correct me if I'm wrong, seepage and leakage rates after a redo pouch are on the order of 60-70% in the daytime and nighttime. And you mentioned that you would offer this in select patients. What kind of a discussion do you have with these patients before you offer them a, a redo? What are you telling them to expect post postoperatively with respect to bowel function and then also sexual function?
2: Okay. Sure. So I think it's a very fair uh, uh, point. What I tell them is this, you know, as what I said as a first line, is that if you can live with the move on, run away from me. That's really the honest, uh, you know, the first remark that I make. And that's one of the reasons I really stage them with the initial ileostomy. Have the patient to have that six months and to decide, neither for an excision nor for a redo, for them to absorb that this is something palatable. The functional outcomes of the redo pouches is not the greatest for a normal, functional person. But what the trade-off that I tell them, and this is the patient's story, not my story, you need to put the things to perspective. You're going to come and tell me I have this problem, this problem, that problem, when I tell them, okay, do you want to have the ileostomy back again? The answer is, look at me. Are you crazy? What are you talking about? So that's really the, the quick perspective that I can just say. You're absolutely right. They're not going to get a great function. For the redo pouches that I significantly tell them about the infertility rates. I try to do same thing what Dr. Ashburn talked about, pexing the ovaries. For male population, I tell them the a little bit increased risk of a uh, sexual dysfunction. I actually have them debank the sperm before the redo pouch because of that concern that they need to know about it. Full transparency as what you articulated is very important.
0: Thank you very much. Any more questions from the audience?
3: Hi, just uh, great talks by everybody. I'm one of the lone pediatric surgeons that are here. Um, I've inherited a probably three or four patients who really had um, a, uh, who have very long rectal cuffs um, that were done by one of the other surgeons in the community. And in general, they've all been uh, from a pouch standpoint, have been behaving well, but a couple of them have had recurring cuffitis or, or inflammation in that remnant rectum that are being treated topically. When, when, when do you guys decide to go back and do a pouch revision or excise that, that remnant, and, or when is it better to continue uh, medications if they're controlled? you
4: know i'll take it cuz that gets into what Feza was talking about there is and i'd ask you respectfully as a pediatric surgeon you know i know that in my area there are two pediatric surgeons who experience who for many years have been doing intentionally pouch rectal anastomoses and i think i just did 3 weeks ago the fifth one you know what i mean you're leaving you know proctitis so i don't think that it's ever okay, you know what I mean, to do a pouch rectal you know, generically anastomosis. And that would be a great example of somebody who's really never even had a chance, you know, to have good function with pelvic pouch. So I think that, you know, by definition, with all sort of colitis diseases, it's typically worse in the rectum. And, you know I mean, I, I, I personally had to do quite a number of those where taking pouch rectal anastomosis, and I'm not talking about a two-centimeter cuff versus one. I'm saying there's people out there who are doing pouch An anal pouch anastomosis to the rectum, fifteen centimeters from the anal verge, and I think that's respectfully a really bad operation.
2: uh, One of the, the, I'm sorry, one of the things I think this is a history repeating itself. Uh, When I was a really intern, uh, in, in, you know, the, with my mentor, there was a big argument between the Professor Nichols from UK side promoting the mucosectomy versus my mentor and uh, Neil's mentors that He was promoting a stapled anastomosis. And Professor Nichols' point was absolutely in one way correct because he was saying you're doing a shortcut with these staple techniques. You're leaving a long cuff. And our mentor's point was, look, you can do this right. You can get in and leave a one-centimeter cuff. It's okay. Now, we're living this again, and I'm not blaming the MIS. We're doing a shortcut, not realizing the fact that we're going really down that where we need to be. Now can you go down laparoscopically or robotically? Absolutely. But it's going an evolving process we're living it. So the patients that you're describing, unfortunately, anything that two to anything greater than two and a half centimeters of a cuff after a failed medical therapy, nothing that's, nothing less than a surgical is gonna work. Either they need a redo to be able to restable from top, record the sky, probably it's gonna like a Maasai, I said this, a transanal TME can be a very good option in these patients going down and removing that thing and bringing it down with that new technique that's out there.
4: Scott, can I ask just... you a question? In, because we see this also um, in terms of pediatric surgery. Is it acceptable? How, what do you guys teach in terms of pediatric surgery in terms of the level of the distal anastomosis?
3: Yeah, I mean, these are uh, you yeah, know the patients are referring to ones that are inherited I, th- I think the teaching has been you know a, a two to four centimeter cuff at least that was the the teaching I had in my fellowship i I think one of the problems has been with kids has been this um, particularly in younger kids, um, people evert the rectum and then you 're basically hugging their, their you know their, their bottom with with your staplers you fire it across and um, I was talking with Dr. Van Allman about this earlier i mean I think I think in the younger, thinner kids, being able to fire that staple right above the columns and having a short cuff is reasonable. I have personally found it to be very challenging when you have you know, the overweight you know, 14 or 15-year-old. And I, th- I think that may drive some of that length in, the, in having a cuff that's too long, I, I don't know.
5: You know, and I, to, so I agree with the comments that have been made already. And uh, to directly answer your question, I think the decision of when to convert the ilioproctosis to an ilioanal is driven by the patient's symptoms and the relative degree of medically refractoriness. Um, I have a question for the I, panel regarding sexual. Um, Infertility, actually. So, Jean, you mentioned staging um, for uh, patients who desire to get pregnant. Um, I'm curious if anyone's had any trouble with patients who have an endoly to who then to get pregnant with parastomal issues because I, in particular, I hate to refer to anecdotal medicine, but I've had one patient in my career who got pregnant, and she had an incarcerated her parastomal hernia during her second trimester, and it was a wild, toad's wild ride, so to speak.
6: I think uh, the one thing that you see a lot is prolapse and it's particularly during or after pregnancy, but particularly during. And I think the challenge with a pregnant patient or somebody who desires pregnancy with a stoma is a stoma is not really part of the pregnancy experience. And so you have young women who desire to get pregnant, and they think they're having to get used to a stoma just hard stop, and then now they're going to be pregnant with a stoma, which... Um, It really ruins the pregnancy photos and the delivery experience and all this stuff. And now they have a a prolapsed stoma. So I think that this is really when you engage your um, enterostomal therapist. I think number one is um, have a great relationship with your enterostomal therapist and help them have a great relationship with the patient to get through these. Because a lot of these um, stomal issues can be managed, and particularly when they're pregnant, um, less is more. Of course, we don't want to be operating on or or doing anything invasive to pregnant women um, unless we have to. So um, I would say in large part these can be managed um, with the great enterostomal therapy. But prolapse also is going to be a problem.
0: question to the panel and maybe to Dr Lopez uh, in terms of what could you comment in terms of uh, success rates of, on weight reduction so you have morbidly obese patient you do subtotal we probably all of us can handle this then what what is we d- we tell them oh go lose weight what is the success rate even what you do like with a surgery without surgery and is there any bmi of the patient you would tell them you know what that's it We're not going to do J-pouch for you because this is bad.
1: I think the success rate without uh, surgical intervention is very low. I think people can lose some weight, but generally not significant enough to make an impact on their ability to have a pouch. Um, There, I would say, is not an exact number for BMI that that would fit for an absolute stomp at, at doing a pouch surgery. But... Uh, In the Mayo paper, their sort of number, their BMI, that really showed an inflection point was the 34. Um, Above 30 was sort of the point rate where the rate of completion would go down, but 34 was was the average BMI of patients that could not have a pouch completed. That said, they excluded, you know, 20 of their patients that didn't have a pouch so that were obese and didn't um, get included in patients that got offered a pouch. So probably those numbers are even a, a little skewed.
7: There's several comments I might make in that context. The first is that... Um, A lot of these patients, after they get their 12-doneclectomy, deserve some weight gain because they're pretty sick, and they get their 20 or 30 pounds. The second point is is that when you see them at that four, five, six-month point in anticipation of stoma creation, excuse me, stoma reversal and the pouch creation, if they are really getting big, as opposed to many other patient groups who typically will not lose your weight, you can basically say, I'm not closing that stoma until you lose some weight. And they are very motivated. They will lose weight, and I've had fair success in that regard. But then there's another whole group of patients who are truly morbidly obese. The BMI's of 38, 90, 40, 45. Those patients aren't going to lose a lot of weight in the context of uh, your surgery, and you're going to be waiting a long time. And that's where I basically um, I do the modified two procedure, and it's very successful.
2: Over, 30%, over 30 MII, uh, BMI, I recommend them to the bariatric surgery at least to see them. Before considering getting to jail, sometimes in massive obese patients, which I have one coming on the way, with a colitis, with a 20 years of steroid dependency, those patients sometimes they just get an ileostomy, don't even do the colectomy, and then do the bariatric surgery and then come down there. But I think it's a great question.
8: Yeah, the um, the abdominal colectomy, especially hand assisted, you can do it to anybody. I mean, it's it's. Uh, As long as the abdominal wall is not uh, thicker than my arm, I guess you can do it. Um, The anecdotal medicine is also the fact that the uh, mesentery of the small bowel, after you have a stoma for a while, sort of lengthens or stretches and helps you reach longer. And I have sent patients for gastric sleeve. um, I wouldn't say routinely, but anything above 40, and you don't lose weight. You go to see the uh, bariatric surgeons.
5: Many people feel that a robotic approach for the morbid obesity pelvis may uh, be helpful as well. I had a question for uh, Walter uh, and for the panel. Uh, Anyone have any experience with homemade endosponges? I think Fezzer does. Anyone else?
7: Yeah, I'll just tell you that's what I referred to. I've done one. Uh, And uh, the mistake I did in that context was that I did not grasp the endosponge itself in order to remove it from the cavity. I pulled on the... Catheter, which had simply been tied down with a couple of sutures and it just slipped right out, left the sponge behind. You know, 30 minutes later, with scopes and Lone Star retractors and all that stuff, we finally got the sponge out. Uh, so I'd simply say that, you know, the, the technical aspects of building your own endo sponge are significant in the context of, you know, what you want to be a quick, slick placement and removal. And if that doesn't go well, then you're in the OR looking through a tiny little anus, you know, stretching it, trying to get after the, uh, the retained foreign
8: body that you have to remove. The other option from New York, there is a direct flight to Amsterdam.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so the, we do have two cases. And one of my, uh, you know, the research fellows who went to overseas to Turkey when I was visiting there, he showed me and sent a video. So we applied at NYU, used like a regular sponge, And then we use the tubing, we suture it, and we have actually video submitted to uh, one of the meetings uh, as a video, as a reference to do that. Out of those patients, one of them getting closed next month. So we were able to accelerate the healing to four months rather than a year. And the other one, we just finished that thing. Hopefully we'll be able to close it in three months. Uh, But we haven't closed them primarily after we pulled it out, we still left it for a secondary healing, uh, which I think there's a room for an opportunity. Yeah. I think Dr. <laughs> Bemmelin
7: could speak to this, but after reading these, the fine print in some of these studies, there were a few tricks that I had missed. One of them was irrigating through the catheter before you remove it with peroxide, for example, to loosen it a little bit. The other one is, is that if you're going to hook it up to a conventional vac drainage system, which we all know for abdominal wounds, that's high, pr- that's high vacuum type stuff. I do not know what the actual vacuum negative pressure is on what they term this low-pressure suction container. But they term it a low-vac pr- uh, container. Do you know, Dr. Ben-Wilman, what the pressure is on that or the suction pressure, the reverse pressure?
9: On, on the rotary bottles, which comes uh, with the endosponge, sponge, that's uh, 150 millimeter mercury. It's about pre- 50? 150.
7: 15? 15 one five or five o. One,
9: oh. one five o. Oh. Yeah. And uh, if you use it in the esophagus, they, they use 80, 80 uh, right, right, right. Uh, mercury negative pressure, yeah, but then on again, an active pump. And um, some say, uh, I don't have experience with that, that it's not, not bad to have even higher negative pressures. It, 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 it increased the cleaning and the granulation tissue even more
2: but did you get no, any? Did you no any small bowel into that? I mean, that was our concern yeah, in our patients.
9: Well, what, you never should push your sponge too high up, but because uh, it, there are some anecdotal reports that uh, that there was small bowel behind the leaking anastomosis, and that it, uh, that there became a fistula. So it's it's. Uh, I've I've had occasions that I exchanged the sponge after a laparoscopic procedure, and that in the endoscopy room that I entered with the scope, the abdominal cavity, pushing up the small bowel.
7: Do you always use that uh, overtube push technique to place these? I think it's very important to
9: use the overtube because then you preserve a relatively small hole. If you do it surgically with a clamp, then you damage the the remaining anastomosis, making the defect uh, bigger, and particularly, the
7: distraction between the two sides will be bigger. Right. Uh, so the, the I, think, I think the technical details here matter in this kind of the success. It's,
9: it's extremely important that the distance between the neorectum and the anus remains very short. Otherwise, you're never able to close it.
0: We have a question from the audience: Whether it's a, is it possible to remove the pouch? and make the other pouch in the future. means. I assume they're talking about very low Hartman's closure. Whether is it feasible or possible, and we'll have our experts to comment, to go back uh, in any situation in the, in the future. I future. not sure why okay, you would do that.
2: Can I take that? So uh, four patients, three of them worked. One patient is waiting that just did it two months ago, major pelvic sepsis, mesentery was scarred down. She's very keen for reconnection. I couldn't get it reached. So retreat, I always tell the residents of fellows, it's a sign of maturity. But what I did is, again, you need to get this done in a year. I put a bunch of pen roses through the anus, to the pelvis, with sepher wrap. So the critical thing that you know, is to avoid the bladder and the uterus not to go down to be able to find that hole. So, but you cannot leave an open hole for a decade either, otherwise they get a nightmare presacral sinus. So hopefully in a year, the mesentery is going to elongate and everything to do that. But with this technique, we were able to get four out of three and the five, fifth on the way. So the answer is yes, but you've got to be really pushing the limit in that one.
10: I
6: just did that. Um, I, I just did that, and, and I think that you um, you have to expect the worst.
0: What's
6: that? I think you have to expect the worst yeah. in those yeah. situations. This was actually a pouch not taken out for sepsis, but the the pelvis is completely obliterated in some cases, and. Um, I think you, you have to expect that it's just going to be closed up and there's not going to be any anatomic planes and ureteral stents and lighted pelvic contractors and things like that. And, and also that the patient going to sleep, understanding that this, that might not be feasible, I, I think that that's even more important in that situation than even in, in a, quote-unquote, straightforward redo pouch. Well,
9: um, I have two questions. Uh, one is with respect to the dyspareunia, which is reported in women, don't you think it's caused by the fear of women leaking stool during having sex?
6: Say that again.
2: We're, we're having a tough time with echo to understand.
9: Sorry, yeah, the, 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 yeah the, it's, we, I had to the microphone, maybe? Yeah, maybe
10: without we, we talked about uh,
6: Well, I guess I'll take that one. <laughs> I think there's probably a lot of issues. I think that's a big one. Um, I, I would hope that men would be concerned about that as well, but maybe not. Um, but I think men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Like it's, I think, you know, sexual function is completely different for men and women. And um, I think it's hard to predict why in men sometimes they aren't so impaired and women they are, but also um, there was a thought that some of the adhesive um, disease around the vagina can cause pain, and, um, and I think certainly that would um, contribute as well. But I, I think that, I think fecal incontinence during sexual intercourse would be bothersome. I would. Assume that that would be for everything, but I think that's a big problem. I think most women would say yes. I, I would be concerned about that. I, advise the I, access. I think that's a great idea.
0: I I'd another. like to ask
7: a question if I could, of the because we have so many strong uh, experts here. What about the issue of using separate film in the vicinity of the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, the pouch, etc., and trying to preserve fertility? Is there does anybody do that? I know the literature is a little you know, so my,
5: my fellow asked me this a couple of days ago, and um, as we're all aware, the original Seprofilm data suggested that if you wrap the anastomosis with Seprofilm, that the anastomotic leak rate actually increases. So... As Gene mentioned, my approach is to try to do the pouch laparoscopically if I can. And I also have a relatively low threshold for ovarian, apexi, um, as Gene uh, mentioned, for patients who would like to get maximum their fertility in the future.
7: But does anybody use Seprofilm? Does anybody use Seprofilm?
6: A Fez's study briefly showed open, some Open separafilm. surgery. That there was no difference.
7: But, so no one I'll it use it really in open surgery, surgery if I have to do it open. Do you use it, film? Do you use it open yeah. surgery?
5: Willem, I wanted to um, comment on your question. So, I think it, an obvious anatomic difference in when we make pouches for men and, and women is that uh, we, we tend to mobilize the, the, into the rectovaginal septum quite a bit. And I think there's this anatomic issue there as well that, that may be different between the genders. So, uh, the other issue is that my fear of doing a pouch position is that they, they will
10: have a chronic sign. Science- Thank you so much that instead of having discharge from the pouch, they have a chronic access which is leaking through the permeal boom. Great question. So uh, there's one thing so what does the panel do to prevent that? Do they put momentum or other tissue in, in the cabinet to prevent that? And my second question is, have any anyone- They will displaced posteriorly both the prostate as well as the, the bladder and the vagina.
4: So I think the second question, no one really knows the answer. Yeah, to my knowledge, nobody's actually studied sexual function, comparing you know diversion versus uh, pouch excision. With your first one, you're you're absolutely right, and that was what I was trying to highlight: is that especially, you know, I, I think if you have, like, say, a pouch that for whatever reason doesn't have pelvic sepsis but it's not working, anal transition zone, neoplasia, I think it's like any other proctocolectomy with ileostomy, you know what I mean, that you're at low risk for that. But there's no question in someone with a water can perineum or has card-carrying, you know, Crohn's disease of the pouch, you're right. That's not just that it can happen. It's likely to happen. And lastly that I think in this day and age of laparoscopy there aren't really very many patients walking around still who still have their omentum you know what I mean after they've been through that to, to use but if it was there I would certainly use it I agree because i have to deal
10: with the problems, i always preserve the omentum yeah, because yeah. No problem.
8: So the, uh, I, I treat this uh, uh, fistulizing pouch problem like fistulizing perianal disease in, in Crohn's. And the way I do it, I leave the anal canal, take the pouch, and uh, let uh, the sepsis resolve and put setons galore if I need to. And when everything is gone, then approach it at a second stage and do the completion perianal proctectomy. Doesn't eliminate that risk, but rather than do this major create this major pelvic wound or perineal wound when uh, when there is active sepsis. So that it's sort of similar to what I would do in perianal Crohn's disease. Otherwise yeah, I take the momentum so there is no not much else to do. what I, what, what I found helpful in a patient who did not have momentum anymore is to do a closed pouch punch excision, preserving the mesentery of the pouch,
6: putting that into the pelvis. Yeah. What about what about Mesentera.
7: But in regards to the, the transition towards more laparoscopic procedures, which is happening with my practice as well, I leave. I in when I used to do open colectomies, I would take the omentum because the teaching was, and I agreed that you'd had to then deal with a whole bunch of adhesions from the omentum. You took it at the time of total dental colectomy. When I'm doing total dental laparoscopically, I elevate the omentum, I leave it behind. And I specifically like leaving it behind because it then bolsters the pouch creation subsequently. So I think transitioning to the MIS preferred course of care, technically speaking, has facilitated preserving the omentum, and I think it's a good thing for these companies.
4: And I I would just say I was surprised by the comment about leaving, you know, the mesentery, you know, if you will, of the pouch, because if I'm doing a pouch excision, what's the pouch and what's the mesentery is largely a theoretical issue. So, I I mean, hats off. I I can't imagine trying to remove the pouch and leaving the mesentery in a patient with pelvic sepsis. So, so show of hands, who uh, uh, preserves the omentum?
8: Yeah, laparoscopic. Okay. But I think those, the, there's just
6: such a high rate of non healing <coughs> wound. No matter what, there's such a high rate of non healing perineal wound, and I think some of the strategies of using a wound back therapy, or I've had a lot of success with hyperbaric oxygen if you have that available, I almost use that more than anything, and sometimes it's hard to get access to or insurance to cover, at least in the U.S., but I find that to be very effective, at least to control the wound.
5: Yeah, I'd also rather put a gracilis flap in at the index pouch excision as opposed to dealing with a presacral sinus and having an interval um, operation for that. But that also is more for the fistulizing perianal Crohn's disease pouch patients.
4: Steph, can I ask Dr. Ashburn a question? I think for those of us who are, if you will, descendants of Dr. Fazio, you know, do that old you know, thing, whereas whenever I mention it, everyone says, like, you do what? What's the data there? Because I've actually stopped doing it because I feel like I'm going to go to jail for putting stitches in the ovary in this day and age, you know. I
6: that- can t- there's no data. And I really, <clears throat> you know, I, I did it. I do it out of teaching, you know, habit, like you said. And I, the more I read about IVF and how that might impair egg harvest with IVS, it did give me a lot of pause. And um, I also, um, I'd I'd made a video for this that I omitted, but when I was doing it, I thought the same things you were. There are so many opportunities during what would be a very simple technique that would take two seconds to do that you could actually cause more problems. Um, Sometimes I've done it and I've thought, well, I feel like I'm kinking the fallopian tube doing it. Or what happens when I close the wound? with the lateral pelvic tissues. Are they going to come in and kink the tissue? Should I just leave it and, um, you know, maybe there's some scar formation and maybe not? Um, I think that's a really, really important thing that I I don't know.
5: So the ovarian, there is some newer data coming out, not in IBD, but in uh, rectal cancer and um, other patients who require pelvic radiation, and there is a bit of a resurgence in the fertility community for doing ovarian transposition before radiation therapy. I think it's early and it's not... It's yeah. very immature data, but there is a growing resurgence of this technique.
4: Yeah. I think that's a you know, different issue, you know, with the radiation. But I might suggest be helpful, for, you know, in Cleveland, if if you looked at that, you know, to my it wasn't to me, Jeannie Just goes to show you how different, you know. I didn't know that I was doing it for fertility reasons. I thought I was doing it so that. I would tack the ovaries up so that it was a young woman that when she got to be an old lady, if she needed a new oophorectomy, they wouldn't have to remove the pouch to get to the ovary, and if she had a pelvic ultrasound, you know, it would be easy f- to look at. So I didn't really know I was doing it for t- fertility reasons.
7: Well, I'll just say that there also is the phenomenon, I don't know how often you've bumped into it, but of those ovaries dropping down behind the pouch. You know, you put the pouch, and, you, and so when I, I'm closing and I see those ovaries drop down into that retro pouch space, I pull them up, and I either close the peritoneum with a couple of stitches, or I tack them up. But that's not because of fertility. That's simply to avoid that entrapped ovary behind the pouch, which is a described uh, complication that can be quite problematic. You know. So I do it occasionally, but not for fertility issues. Okay.